Welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. My name is Elizabeth and I am your host. I'm also a divorced mother of four sons and a remarried stepmom to three. As the owner and founder of The Separation Club, I guide women as they heal, rediscover themselves and create their new lives. It all starts the day the old one ends. Today, I am going to be speaking with Dr. Amy King. She is someone that I met online, actually, when I first started The Separation Club, and I'm really excited to speak with her. She is such a compassionate, kind, and wonderful voice of reason in a very messy situation. Um, Co-parenting is not easy, and that's what we're going to talk about today, different aspects of it. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Amy. She is a licensed psychologist in Newburgh, Oregon. She owns a private practice serving children and families. Dr. Amy is a trainer, consultant, and educator for professionals on the topics of trauma and resilience. She provides workshops, educational conferences, and online events to train professionals around the areas of trauma, compassionate practices, and building resilience so that families and children may thrive. So as you can tell, she's going to have a wealth of information for us. Um, We're going to be focusing on bridging that gap, you know, as marriages end and we have to find a way to still co-parent with this person, whether we have young children, teenage children, or adult children. And we'll even be talking a little bit about how to manage the upcoming holidays. So this is a great episode. So let's get into it. Hi, Amy, and welcome. I am so excited about you being here with us today. So you and I have talked several times before because you've been interviewed inside the Rising Free Membership, and uh, and we even masterminded for a while together. So I'm really excited that we get to do this together and that you're going to be here on my podcast um, and talk about parenting our kids and being good parents, divorced parents, um, as we go through this. And I know you've gone through it yourself. So uh, plus you are um, a, a psychologist. So I mean, you you have a wealth of information for us. I'm really excited about talking to you today. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really excited. This will be good. So, you know, I think when I, in my, in my Facebook group, this, you know, community of like 8,000 women now, who, you know, when they come in, um, and so I'm speaking today, by the way, to you listeners about women mostly because they are who I serve. Um, I am in no way trying to imply that the fathers are the problems here or don't, you know, it's, this is very much, I'm talking from the perspective that I hear. So just want to say that. But um, with this large community of women, you know, the, the issue around parenting and not being with their kids all the time comes up a lot. And the heartache around that and you know i i completely understand like it's you know as a mother you know we don't have children so that we cannot see them and we don't have children to to not have them sleep in our house at night when they're three years old or you know all of those things are really hard to wrap our head around it just wasn't supposed to be like this mm-hmm. however it is like this and there's an, there's a, another parent out there who is entitled to see those children as well and you know as there's usually a lot of emotions attached to a divorce and a lot of often a lot of fighting. Um, and so then age gets factored in and, you know, how old are the kids and all these things. But let's just focus a little bit on the younger kids at first. What would be, and you've been through this yourself, as have I. So 
what would be some advice just kind of get this conversation started for a mom who's just sitting there kind of heartbroken because her school age kids, younger kids are not going to be with her all the time. Like she's actually looking at an agreement, a parenting agreement that is slicing up the days that she gets to be with her children. Yeah. Um, You know, I think the first thing is just a recognition of the process, right? And validating first and foremost, this is a loss. Going through a divorce is a grief process. And so when those days start to get separated between, you know, one parent's day and the other parent's days or time, I want you to kind of think about it in a different way. Um, Instead of my time and his time or my time and my ex-partner's time, think about it more so like, this is my kid's life. And we're separating days to make sure they have access to both of us. That then kind of reframes it from mine and yours to what's best for our kids. Yeah. It it also gives you an an opportunity to um, practice, you know, sharing some of that time with your ex-partner and being in this space where um, you're recognizing there's only so much you can control. And so how do you begin to look at this instead of like, I'm missing out on time, more so like, what do I do with the time that I have? Mm-hmm. And how do I communicate with my ex-partner to make it things as smooth as possible for my kids? A hundred percent. That Those are, that's, I love that shift of thinking. Um, I think, you know, so often and with all areas of healing from something like this and getting your head around the reality of it from a personal perspective and as a parent, just looking at things differently sometimes, it's really all it takes to to not feel so wronged by it and to also realize that the, you've been focusing on yourself because that's what happens, right? We get caught up in, but I don't want to be without them and I shouldn't have to give them up and this isn't fair, but that's about that's now about you. That is no longer about the child or the children. And that's what's so important. Um, and you hear things like, it's not fair. Well, <laughs> life's not fair. But aside from that, like you said, it's not, you know, let's make it really nice and easy for the kids so that they can easily transition back and forth. And then, and remember, you know, remember, Elizabeth, you're going to have a whole lifetime. Yeah. You know, of co-parenting with this person. And so if you're, if your children are young, when this divorce or separation takes place, you're going to have a decade and a half of co-parenting with this person. Mm -hmm. Also a first chance to kind of practice what is my feelings about this versus what's in the best interest of the kids. And you might think being with me is in the best interest of my kids. And, And what I would say to that is unless there's significant abuse, neglect, concerns going on, we really want to have both parents involved in a child's life. That's what's best for kids. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, you know, I think this is something that is so important to get across to parents on both sides, that they, they need to see both. They need to love both. They need to be loved by both. They need a relationship with both. And even if one relationship is more challenging than the other one, they still need it. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen it in my kids. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't really matter where the kids prefer to be just because they might prefer one parent. There can be many reasons they prefer one parent. You know, it could be because that parent stayed in the house. So they're closer to their friends or, you know, it could be any number of things. Um, 
But that's often something that passes. They still want that other parent in their life. They might say that they prefer one parent because that parent is making them feel really guilty when they go to the other parent because she's so sad. Like I hear that too. I was sobbing in the driveway when my kids left. Like you can't do that in front of your kids. Either Mm -hmm. find a way to transition where you don't have to hand them over and cry um, like get somebody else to help you or let the, the ex come into the house and grab them and go or whatever. And then go inside and cry and phone your friends and open a bottle of wine or whatever you need to do. Right. But you, I, you know, transition, transition is really hard for kids. I remember there was always that 24 hour period where my kids would be kind of off. Like I would just almost ignore them for those 24 hours until they kind of reassimilated into, into my house. And I'm sure they were the same at their dad's. Mm-hmm. It was just, the transition's really hard. And I think there's so much we can do to make that easier, right? Absolutely. Let me go back to something you said before, which mm-hmm. is, you know, if our kids feel a certain way or we feel a certain way. One of the things I remind people of all the time is that feelings don't make decisions. Mm-hmm. And and it's important to be cognizant of that early on because later on your kids' feelings may change and it may not be to your benefit. Yeah. So instead, if you have a really thought out parenting plan that's, you know, intentional and best practice, then you always have something to fall back on, regardless of how someone might feel or behave at a given time, given different development, etc. And then what you were saying about transitions, I do think there are so many things we can do to help the transition process just kind Mm -hmm. of depending on age, right? Like, when I think about little kids, like under the age of eight, some of them are pre-reading. And so doing things that are visual, tactile, aesthetic are really helpful for them so that they can see on a calendar, orange days are mommy days and purple days are daddy days. And this is where we transition. This is how it happens. And even creating for those littles transition objects, things that go back and forth between houses, things that, that can be carried back and forth so that that child has those objects. And also best practice would indicate that if my kids... Um, want to have a picture of their dad in their bedroom so that they can see him when they're not with him and vice versa. And that there's, if possible, amicability in the exchange, right? And I know that's hard for some people, but to be able to drop off and say, hey, Elizabeth, just so you know, I had to give, you know, Teddy some Tylenol because he had a little bit of a headache, you know, let me know how that goes, right? Your kids can still see a co-parenting relationship that can really help them with those transition points. Even if you've decided that the marriage is no longer, you know, salvageable. Yeah. They don't feel the bottle in the transition. It actually just feels easy. And like two parents who are talking like they always did about their care. Right. Um, And yeah, I think there's probably so many things that we could do to, to help them with that, especially the young kids, because they don't understand what's going on, but they pick up on it. They can sense energy and they can sense if, you know, mom is really sad when we leave and then they feel bad and they feel maybe they've done something wrong. They might be able to sense if a parent feels, seems to be angry when they leave. And again, they think they've done something wrong or whatever it may be. And it's just, it's an awful lot to put at the feet of kids who don't understand anything except that they love you and they want to be with you. Let me tell you, I literally just yesterday was talking to a patient of mine and she said, She's 17 now, but she said she remembered when she was four years old and her parents were going through a divorce Mm -hmm. that when her dad was talking, she was kind of, you know, hanging on to her mom's legs, just kind of listening. 
And the mom said, see, she's standing by me. She likes me more. And so the little girl said, the the now 17 year old girl said, then I remembered like thinking, oh no, I, I don't want my dad to think I don't love him. So I, she ran over to him and then held onto his legs. And he said, see, she actually loves me more. And she literally felt like this ping pong between her two parents who she had to reassure them of her love so that she wasn't used in a pawn in this argument they were having. She was four mm-hmm. and she remembers that. Well, that was <laughs> tremendous responsibility to give a four-year-old. Right. And I'm, I'm sure they didn't intend to do it, but they, um, but they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And she remembers that that's a foundational memory for her. And yeah. so I think anything we can do to um, alleviate that type of weight from kids is really important. You know, um, parental alienation is a is a very strong term, and I don't really want to go there because it's it's it doesn't happen very often. But I think we can, as parents, especially in the beginning, can teeter on the line a little bit sometimes. So you know, essentially, parental alienation is and I'm sure you could describe it better, but it's it's disparaging the other parent and trying to create an environment where the child doesn't want to go to the other parent because, and so there are often lies and things like that. But anyway, what can happen? And I think this probably happens, actually I shouldn't say it happens more with older kids. I would imagine it happens right across the board, but it's those little needling remarks like, oh, I can't believe, you know, your other parent didn't do the laundry or didn't put you to bed on time or look how tired you are. And so these little comments that will constantly tell the child that the other parent is not doing a good enough job. It's just not doing well enough. So when I was working with some women through a course and they were very recently separated and they were all struggling with this, which I understand, like I, I 100% understand and empathize with the, the heartache that goes with this, but they were often bringing up these things. So I actually took it upon myself to just like literally read them the definition of parental alienation and then like five or six examples of things that they might be saying because I said the same thing I'm sure you're not actually alienating but you might be standing there with like your toes hanging over the edge Mm -hmm. and like here are some examples of comments you might be saying and it'll backfire eventually and and it was I was really proud of her one of the women actually said at the end of that she goes I am definitely on that edge. My foot, my one of my feet might actually be over the line every now and then. She mm-hmm. goes, I will be correcting that immediately. So I was really glad that I had shared it because I think what happens too is we get so emotional and we get so caught up in it that we don't even realize we're doing it. So I think the more we can educate in podcasts like this and, um, and so what would be something that you would want to say to parents to maybe check themselves on? Mm-hmm. Is this about me or is this about my kid? Yeah. Yeah. If it's about you, you, share it with your girlfriend, meditate on it, go for a run, cry in the shower. Um, You're righteous in your anger and your disappointment Mm. and your frustration. You're, you're separating from this person for reason, right? Um, But when you're feeling supersede the needs of your child in a way that undermines the other parent's relationship, love, affection, or importance in your child's life, it's really important to check that behavior. Um, Because, you know, remember too, you're becoming a single parent and you're going to need breaks and you're going to want to rely on this other person and you're going to cope with them for a long time. And so really, I, I understand I've been there, how much discord can be present, And yet I want you to just when possible, you know, just take a breath of intentionality and and decide like, is this about me and, and my feelings about my partner or soon to be ex partner, 
Or is this what I really think is in the best interest of my kids? I think that's an amazing question to ask. But I think in a way, I'd like to add something to that because what parents will say to me is, you know, they'll, they'll bring up all these examples, like the diapers don't get changed often enough, or they don't get meals scheduled times. They don't get their scheduled bedtime. Their routine is off, those kinds of things. So these things don't make someone a bad parent. It just makes them a different parent. And, and so I think to add to that, you know, is this about me or is, you know, is this about the kids? And then also ask, or is this just a difference of opinion between our parenting styles? I think that almost needs to be added like as a, as an A or B underneath, (laughs) because I think what a lot of parents will do is convince themselves that the other parent is just no good, but it's really based on things that are, that ultimately don't matter down the road. Mm-hmm. This this is not what's going to define this child's life when they go to bed when they're five years old. It just isn't. Yep. And I think if if we can re- remind ourselves that, you know, in the first several months to the first year, things are very, you know, much more difficult than they mm-hmm. are two and three and five years down the road. And then you can revisit some of those things with your ex-partner and say, hey, could we get on the same page about X, Y, or Z? Yes. Um, when things feel less emotional for both of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, that's great advice. You can always go back to that conversation. It's just the first three, five, six, eight months, even year, maybe the other parent isn't ready to hear it yet. But, you know, I look at my, um, um, my husband, and he's got three kids with his ex. And uh, when I met him, I would say that their communication was limited, uh, in that they only ever communicated through text. But now they phone each other all the time. And now their kids are adults, but they have phoned each other regularly about things like if there's an issue they don't text they pick up the phone and just get it dealt with so I've, I've really been impressed with how well they have moved past that original animosity and and have managed to put their kids kind of first and to actually just parent together without mm-hmm. it being anything more you know they don't make it about anything else except here's the problem how we're going to figure this out so mm-hmm. it's been really good um I want to shift into older kids so I guess, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip by the teenagers um, and jump kind of right to more adult children, because, again, I find this comes up so much. Uh, and I think, you know, with great divorces being something that is on the rise, a lot of people are divorcing with kids who are in their 20s, 30s, even 40s. And it's almost like they just forget that. They have to, they think they can just go to their children and just unload about their marriage to them and all the injustices that were done to them in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard on these kids. And they can be very hard on the parents as a result of that. Um, and it becomes it becomes so much bigger then. So now I know some of my clients, not only do they feel betrayed by their ex-partner, but they actually feel betrayed by their children because the children are either taking the the other parent's side or they might just be refusing to take any side. They might be continuing to have a relationship with their father, for example, who maybe cheated and is not with someone else. And -hmm. the mother is sitting in there in a situation going, how could they do that? They're betraying me. So Mm -hmm. how do, how do we manage our grownups? Yeah. So first of all, it's such a perfect example, right? Um, They're betraying me. Mm -hmm. It goes back to that question. Is that about you or is that about them? Yes. Because we really have to separate out when we're honest with ourselves, our ex-partner may not be a good partner, but they may be a great dad 
or yeah. a great mom, right? And so we have to really um, be careful to not generalize somebody's behavior in a marriage to who they are as a person, right? Um, you know, it, it was funny because um, when I got divorced, Elizabeth, my ex-husband is a physician. And so some of our mutual friends or mutual clients even would say like, oh, like, should I not be part of his practice anymore? And I was like, no, 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 he's a great pediatrician. No, please, please. Right. Like he just not a good partner for yeah. me. Yeah. Right? So it's not even like not a good partner, just not a good partner for me. But yes, please continue getting care from him. So, you know, we, we do, we have to separate out the different parts of, of people. That being said, I think when it comes to adult children, I think sometimes we, we kind of forget, like they're not little anymore. So it feels like, you know, they've become like kind of a friend yep. more than somebody that we're raising. And so we feel like, you know, oh, well, we can like talk to them or confide in them or share more because they're older. And I would say, whoa, just, you know, just like we have to choose you know, different types of girlfriends we have. Like I have a girlfriend who I love to go shopping with or a girlfriend that I can confide all of my deepest secrets. And I have a friend that I love to like run and work out with. Can we please compartmentalize our children into um, our adult children, especially into these incredible people who we're building an adult relationship with, but whom we don't talk negatively to about their, their parent. Yeah. And save in that fact, for your girlfriend. save that, that for your friends. Absolutely. And I don't even think that we should really be sharing our personal struggles with our our children uh, maybe later in life when they're old enough to pick up on it themselves and it's not going to weigh on them in the same way mm-hmm. but when you're dealing with someone in their 20s they're not ready to start hearing from their parent that they're devastated and heartbroken and depressed and can't get out of bed and mm-hmm. you know your other parent has hurt me so badly and I'm just you know I'm I don't know what to do with myself and I need you now more than ever and mm-hmm. you know there's this whole they, they start to hear things about the other parent and then they find themselves angry at the other parent. But I think they ultimately flip that anger. Yeah, yeah. Or angry at you, right. Which yeah. is what you, what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling that despaired, right. If your listeners are, are hearing this and like, they're feeling that despaired, like I've been so hurt. I've been so betrayed. You don't understand. This is really bad. It's a really good idea to seek out a therapist. Yes. Right. Yes. Somebody who will listen and validate and support because you and I both know it's tremendously hard to go through a divorce. Mm-hmm. We're not saying don't have big, sad feelings. We're saying don't impose those big, hard feelings on your kids yeah. who then feel obligated to take care of you and feel like, do I have to choose sides between you and this other parent whom I also love very much. And and they're going, remember, through their own process. Exactly. They're grieving the loss of this family as well. Um, You know, the chances are they're angry at their parents at that point for complicating things. Couldn't you have figured it out? You know, like, why are you making this so hard for us? You know, I think adult children can get a little bit more indignant about it um, because they understand it in a different way, right? But they're going to make up their own opinions. And I think it's I, I mean, I agree with, with absolutely everything you're saying. I think also, you know, and this is a lot of the work that I do with my clients is they, when something like this happens to us, something falls apart and it doesn't really matter if it's betrayal or something else, but we all on both sides of the fence for a period of time, we want to rally people around us to tell us that we were right, we were wronged and this other person's wrong and they shouldn't have done whatever they did or didn't do, right? Mm-hmm. And so we want to rally the troops and we want like, we want to sit there as this 
perfect victim on our lily pad in a way. And everybody's just standing around hugging and just telling us how great we are and how awful the other person is. And, mm-hmm. and when we try to include our kids in that circle of our victim mentality, which is really what it is, you know, it's, that's an awful lot. Now they're, first of all, their family's falling apart. They're being told that their other parent is no good. You're suddenly no resource because you're devastated. And now you're also being asked to support and lift this, this, well, the mother, for example, in this case, and that's an awful lot for somebody who's 22 and probably going through university and has a new girlfriend who dumped him or her, you know know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I think, I think, like you said, they can very quickly actually become very angry with both their parents for why are you messing everything up? Because they're still pretty egocentric at that age. So. Well, and I I would add one thing, what right best practice is to not involve them Mm -hmm. in, in your emotional process. Even better practice is if they are aware of something that hurt, some big hurt, like your partner had an affair or there was horrible financial secrets or demise and they say, but I know what he did, right? And I'm mad at him too. And it's like, there's that feeling of like, oh, so even without me sharing, you found out about this or you know about this and now I have an ally. Yeah. I would say be very cautious of that still and, and even better, say to your adult child, you know, and I'll just give like a little script, you know, I'm sorry that you heard about that, whatever way it was, right? Um, that's really information that was between your dad and I. Um, I want to give you permission that even though that may have deeply hurt me, that you can still love your dad. Wow. There's still a lot of great things about him. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that child would be so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, when when my when I got divorced, Elizabeth, my kids were nine and eleven, and I really tried to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I had done a good job when I was in my son's bedroom one night, and, and he was probably eleven or twelve then, and and he was expressing frustration about his dad. Um, and I could have easily jumped on the, we don't like dad bandwagon, right. Um, because it's tempting. Right. And instead I said, you know, he's, that's super, that's a bummer. Right. I validated his feelings, whatever was going on. And I said, you know, it's just not what, what dad's good at. You know, he's really good at is like, he's really good at jokes and he's really good at play. And he's really good at like taking to the park. And he does things that I just don't enjoy doing. And my son goes, yeah, 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 mom. I know I can love him and love you and love you both. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I've done my job then, right? If you've heard that so many times that you're like, blah, 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 great, right? Then I've, 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 I've provided a really foundational message that you can, you can really care and love. I'm not going to further divide your heart. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. I mean, clearly you did a good job um, because he heard you and he was to the point where he was like, I know, I know. Right. Like, (laughs) I don't need to hear all that again. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. Uh, Let me present you with a case. So myself, an example of something that happened with me. So I I went to my own therapy when when I went through my divorce, just like for myself. And 
But a big part of the things that I would talk to my therapist about, about was like helping the kids. And one of the things, you know, that he reiterated several times was do not badmouth the other parent or father in this case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, just be neutral so that it is always safe for them to come to you if they need to, and that they won't feel like there'll be some kind of consequence or that as soon as they say something that just opens the floodgates on, well, you know, your dad, right? So I didn't. So my response was actually always the same. I'm really sorry that he did that because he made some bad choices during those first years, like just made some bad choices as a parent. And um, so, yeah, that was my response was, I'm really sorry that he did that. I know he loves you. I know that this isn't because he doesn't love you. You know, I say things like that. Well, my 17, which I actually think was a good answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. But one day my, well, he was probably 17 when we separated. So I'm going to say he was probably 18 by now. He just looked at me and goes, mom, if you tell me one more time that my dad loves me when he does something shitty, I will stop talking to you. Mm. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I stopped saying, your dad loves you. I just kept saying, I don't know why he's doing that. And the worst thing I think, you know, at that time, I, I would sometimes say, He's making some really bad choices right now. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, but here's the thing with, in both of those situations, Elizabeth, we laid a foundation that loving was okay. And that your yeah. dad and that relationship is solid. We weren't threatening that so that our kids could get to a point that their experience with their dad was their own. Yes. And yes. that is key. I mean, ultimately, if if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I, you know, I know my husband's a, a jerk and he's a horrible person. Okay. Okay. Your kids will figure that out if that's the case. Yeah. But let them do it on their own. Don't let it be because of how you feel about him or, or her. You know, in this situation, we both had ex-husbands, but don't let your experience be their experience. Allow their experience to be their experience. They'll yeah. come to their own conclusions. And, you know, one thing, I mean, I really saw in my children and uh, was no matter what, they love their dad, Mm -hmm. of course. And it's, it's still better for them, regardless of everything that happened, that they had a relationship with him. And the thing that's hurt them the most is the time that they've lost with him, Mm -hmm. not the time that they had with him. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, it, it's hard uh, to sit and watch sometimes, you know, when people hurt your kids and especially when that might be the other parent, but you just have to hope you've taught them everything. And like I said, I just tried to create a safe place. That was what I kept hearing. Just be a safe place, just be a safe place for them where they can come and talk. And I would just sit and nod and listen. (laughs) And I just deleted that end comment Mm -hmm. uh, with him anyway. And, uh, yeah, that's what I, all I could do, but it's, you know, parenting kids through this, it's really hard. And this the thing is, it's really hard for them to go through this as well. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that um, because we get so wrapped up in our own grief and our pain and our anger. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, I guess, you know, just before we kind of wrap up, um, what would be some, some really big no-nos and then maybe we'll do some really big yeses. I think we've covered some of them already, but if you feel that there's some that I have forgotten um, and you can split them up by age, if that's better for you. Yeah. I mean, I like what you just said, Elizabeth, about just remembering that your kids are going through a grief cycle too. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, it's important, you know, to validate their feelings, validate their process, um, ask questions and sit and be curious about their experience. I guess I'm seeing lots of lots of yeses versus noes, but you know, allow that transition time to take place. And, you know, I think sometimes we, you know, maybe have a next thing planned when our kids come home to us. And I try to just like, can you give it a couple of hours of them just coming home and being um, without like running an errand or going to grandma's or heading off to the the next thing, like just give them a little bit of space to transition. Um, you know, if possible, having those transition items, and that might be a transition item for a little kid that's a stuffed animal or a blankie. It might be for an older kid, a journal that goes back and forth or, you know, and, and whenever possible, allowing them to see the two of you as amicable individuals who both care about them. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me all the time why my ex-husband and I sit next to each other at sporting events or at activities of our kids. Well, can you imagine how that feels, whether you're five or 12 or 16, right? To look out into the audience and to see these divided people versus like, oh, there they all are. There are my people, right? I know what that's like because I know what my kids went through because we were not able to sit beside each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, after a sporting event, there would be this, they, you know, one of them, whoever would come up to me, for example. And then it's like, I got, I got to go over and talk to that as well. It's like almost like they were apologizing, which I'm guessing they had the same kind of interaction when they went there. Um, I'm, I'm not saying they were preferred coming to me or anything like that, but it was they always had to choose who they went to first and and split it. Yeah. And I just always actually always felt so bad for them. So I actually said to them at one point, some of them was like, don't feel you have like, especially if they were coming home with me, if this mm-hmm. was the night that they were coming home with me, I was yeah. like, you don't have to come up to me. Just yeah. we'll, we'll talk, talk later. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I think the only other, I, I don't know that we missed any other big no-nos. Um, you know, I would say just one thing and another big yes or something to do is, you know, when you don't have your kids, I know it's hard, um, especially that first year, gosh, like a first holiday that you don't have them on the morning, maybe like for me, I celebrate Christmas. And so like not having them on Christmas morning or sharing, you don't have them on their actual birthday, right? Right. Something like that. You know, I, I recognize that's so hard. And so, um, I remember for me, instead of, um, dwelling on what I didn't have when I, when they weren't with me, I really tried to instead take care of myself. And I'll never forget Elizabeth being alone. My very first Christmas morning, um, gosh, it makes me almost teary to think about it, but I had a girlfriend call me a couple of days prior and she knew, and she said, how about a Christmas morning hike? And I was kind of like in this sad space of like, that's not what I do. And I, I'm not going to miss stockings and opening things. And I was really focused on all the things that I, and she said, well, and yet, have you ever gone on a Christmas morning hike in the woods when the snow is falling? And I was like, I haven't. And it was yeah. beautiful yeah. and yeah. lovely. And I, I thank God for her. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's the big thing I want people to focus on too, is just, I know there's so much we can focus on of loss and when possible focus on taking care of you during that downtime and finding new routines and rituals that can really fill up your soul. You'll be a better mm-hmm. mom. You'll be a better oh, mom. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, 
it's interesting you say that about Christmas. I'm I'm running a, a masterclass um, and I will leave information on that in the show notes here. But on the 17th of November, I'm running um, a masterclass on uh, managing the holidays. So I'll be talking about the kids and um, even just about traditions in general um, because there's so many expectations. And, and then it's like, who gets the night? Who get, you know, how do you split it? And it, it's it's a very challenging, especially the first year, as you're talking about. I remember that very well. Mm-hmm. But I think really the bottom line is to rearrange your expectations and create something new that's just with you and your kids. I had a client a few years ago and her kids were adults. And um, and so her birthday was on the 23rd of December and they celebrate Christmas. And so she decided with my help, actually, we, we decide helped her decide that the 23rd would be her Christmas. It'd be a birthday, it'd be Christmas. Um, and they would have this wonderful thing they would do and the kids wouldn't be going to their fathers until late on the 24th. And so she was gonna have this very special time. I said, who cares if it's happening on the 23rd or the 25th? Who cares? They're just dates. Mm-hmm. You do full on Christmas on the 23rd and birthday and whatever, like do it all. So they ended up having a wonderful time and they created new traditions. So from there on in, that's when they do their Christmas. So, you know, there's... Ultimately, what we want with our kids is time. We want to spend special time with them. We want to create memories with them. And we can do that any day of the year. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to Christmas, instead of making it this horrible bouncing ball kind of experience for the kids where they're like bouncing from event to event, like first they have to go, let's say, to their other parent, and then they have to do that whole family, and then they have to come back and do your whole family. And they're bouncing around like ping pong, say six turkeys and who knows what, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, let's just make it easy um, and find a way to make it easy for everyone. And then you can enjoy it mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? Love. Yes, absolutely. So it's uh, it's a really challenging time, but as usual, time flies when you and I talk, Amy. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to talk again. But I really, really appreciate you coming here and sharing. I know I kind of jumped a little bit back and forth with age groups, but I just thought I wanted to touch on a few things since I had you here. And I hope I can have you back again sometime soon. Oh, I would love to. And I, and I just want to say, like, for people that are listening, Elizabeth, I hope they take advantage of some of the extra special masterclasses and memberships that you have because... I really think that's how you grow as an individual. It's wonderful to be in a Facebook community. It's wonderful to listen to podcasts and yet really to create change and momentum, you have to invest in yourself. So I know the the things that you offer are life-changing for people. So thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that, Amy. And yeah, it's true. It's not even just about the investment of money. It's the investment of time and making that decision to, I'm actually going to do the work. I'm not just going to listen and get Mm -hmm. reassurance. I'm actually going to sit down with someone who knows how to help me and I can listen to what they have to say and gain some new perspective. So I really appreciate you acknowledging that it's, it's wonderful work to be doing. I feel truly blessed to be able to do it, but yes, we're here to help. Awesome. Thanks. Probably Elizabeth. never wanted to be in, but when you're in it, you might as well be in this one. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for being here. And I will look forward to having you back. And thank you for the work that you do. I know that you've come off this path a little bit from where you were when I met you, but you're still helping professionals help children and it all helps the world be a better place. So thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Amy. Wow, what an episode. 
I always love talking to Amy and I love her insight. She just has a way of saying things that makes it actually feel a lot easier. And she certainly knows how to focus on what is easiest and best for the children, but also manages to do it in a way that feels good for us parents. So I'm so grateful for her being here with us today and sharing her knowledge. Before you go, I'm running a masterclass. This is a free event on November 17th, where I'll be talking about managing the upcoming holidays. So this will include co-parenting through the holidays, as well as just simply being divorced during the holidays. So everything will be talked about, um, but you might find it really helpful in starting to prepare some expectations, making plans with your family, making plans with your children, and also dealing with some of the things that might feel really challenging and sad as you head into the holiday season. So whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever it is that you celebrate, we're gonna talk about that. I will include all the links in the show notes for how you can register for that. Like I said, it's on November 17th, and I look forward to seeing you there. This will be a live event online. Until then, have a really great day.